actually Halloween Eve. This is your host, DJ Evil Dave. Brandy is currently at work and isn't present this week because of rehearsals for the Fairly Potter Christmas show at the Ziegfeld. We were hoping to bring you an improvised comedy show for Halloween, but it just didn't happen. We did have one opportunity to record, but being both introverts, and especially Brandy having some busy few weeks, we instead stayed home rather than go to improv practice. So instead, I'm defaulting to a Halloween music special. And this one's a bit different than what I'd usually do, which is to hand-pick tracks to play. This one, I just randomly went through the promotional items I've received as a DJ, and lifted from the spooky ones that I ran across, with occasionally some rather fortunate finds, such as the one you just heard, by an artist known as Crispy, and that's Crispy as in C-H-R-I-S-P-Y, as in the name Chris, with a little pie at the end there, P-Y. And clearly, that is a dubstep remix of John Carpenter's theme, for his 1978 movie Halloween, which a little trivia about Halloween is it was very low budget and filmed during the summer, so all those falling autumn leaves, guys with dead leaves throwing them from boxes just off screen. So nice little pulling back of the curtain for some making of trivia for that godfather of slasher films. Yes, there were slasher films before Halloween, but that one really did put a stamp on the genre. Speaking of John Carpenter and his themes, his son recently released an album called Lost Themes, which is a compilation of several of his father's lesser-known movie themes. And there is a remixed album featuring 
J.G. Thurwell of Fetus, an ogre of Skinny Puppy, among others. I have not heard that album yet, but it's something on my wish list, because I do like Ogre a lot. Skinny Puppy is my favorite band, and Ogre, my favorite solo artist. But more on Crispy, he is a dubstep, drum and bass, and breakbeat musician, hailing from North Wales in the UK, and I am proudly part Welsh. I'm built very Welsh, long torso, short legs, and rather swarthy, but he currently lives in Manchester, and his influences include a lot of 80s nerdy stuff. He's into sci-fi type music and Nintendo games, and quite popular too. He has close to 60,000 likes on Facebook, and in comparison, most of the artists featured on the Dark Corner and formerly the Inside Outcast garnered around a four-figure amount of likes on Facebook, so to be in five figures is pretty remarkable. Crispy seems to offer a lot of free downloads, especially around holidays. He has a Christmas collection of dubstep tunes available through his Facebook page and his SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash crispy dubstep. I know it's kind of risky to open the show with some dubstep because there are a lot of people who don't particularly care for that genre. I'm not one of them. I like dark electronic music, and dubstep just fits in nicely alongside dark electro, IDM, EDM, and what have you. And I dig the oscillating synth bass that characterizes dubstep and makes it a rather unique music genre within the last 20 years or so. And I think the samples from the 1978 Halloween, the lines from Donald Pleasance, adding some atmosphere to the tune overall and makes it a good introduction to this Halloween special. Do you hear this breath? It's an obsessive breath. Can you feel this beat? It's an obsessive heartbeat waiting to be joined with its own. Now to get into a latest obsession, I downloaded the mobile app for Topps Star Wars Card Collector, and that's occupied a bit of my time, not as much as Marvel Puzzle Quest, but it's an electronic card trading app where you get pretty much all the available cards that Topps has the rights to anyway from the Star Wars films, including some sneak peeks into Star Wars 7, The Force Awakens After a Long Nap, which is always weird because why would the Force be sleeping if it's an always constantly going thing? Oh well, it's a weird title. Anyhow, the Star Wars Card Trader app provides you about 25,000 credits per day and, and one day of the week, 50,000 to purchase Packs of cards ranging from 5,000 to 900,000 or more, depending on what's in the deck of cards, which could include some inserts such as street art style, rock concert, Star Wars photos, Banksy-like graphic designs, collegiate style t-shirt looking designs. There's the Empire Strikes Back Illustrated, which was one I really liked because it has comic book-like images, but that seems to be no longer available. They also offer a free card per day and 
It's a variant either being crimson, like a very deep red, or a teal. And those will sell out if you miss the opportunity to buy those daily. And I've already collected quite a few cards in the brief time I've had it. I have 977 cards, which is about 9.32% of the overall cards available. I mean, I do have a lot of duplicates. I have two rare gold cards. There are some issues with the app in that the trading is not very intuitive. Though it's good if you live with someone like Brandy who also has the app and you can get face-to-face, figure out what duplicate cards you have and figure out a way to trade that way. So you're trading specifically card for card. And there's another thing called Smuggler's Den that makes very little sense. It seems like it's supposed to be some kind of weird trading card game where you can earn some kind of schematic card through trading cards here and there and working your way towards it. But it doesn't make much sense, and from what I can garner, the app doesn't feature any kind of instructions. So there's some problems with the app as far as I look at it. But yeah, it's uh, been a bit of an obsession keeping up to date daily, so I get my rewards and buy my packs. Though I really should be more patient because it seems like better deals happen later in the day. So instead of buying packs as soon as I get my credits, I should really wait (laughs) until later. So what we have next for you is a double dose of female-fronted rock, which I suppose if I were to pair them together in some fashion other than both being female-fronted, would be that they're both possibly able to be categorized as lo-fi. The first being a song by Kill Miss Pretty which is a band we featured in our former podcast a couple of times. Kill Miss Pretty has a rather irreverent punk rock attitude. Their sound is raucous and electronically charged, and reminds me of Sonic Youth back in the day, when Sonic Youth was considered an industrial rock band before industrial was defined more in electronic synthesizer type terms and kill miss pretty come from south florida so without further ado here is negative creep by kill miss pretty from the album bite your tongue
seductive vintage rock right there from Felice Lazay. song titled Calling Me from the Give It Away EP. Felice Lazay comes from Sacramento, California, but is currently based in Los Angeles, the city of angels. And believe it or not, she's currently unsigned, as talented as she is. She's a singer-songwriter with a wide range of influences, largely being classic rock-oriented, but as contemporary as Foo Fighters and Fiona Apple and Alanis Morissette. I do love that vintage rock sound, the sound of bands like The Heavy and The Black Keys, among others. I know Queens of the Stone Age recently released an album with that kind of vintage rock sound, as well as The Mission. And I recall with the popularity of the Black Keys, that Jack White of the White Stripes threw a little tizzy, thinking that he was solely responsible for bringing in that sound, which is bullshit, but then I was never a big fan of the White Stripes. But it's particularly bullshit because I recall PJ Harvey releasing some Southern Gothic-style vintage rock back in the day. A lot of Southern spiritual-themed music, really stripped-down, basic, lo-fi stuff, well before I knew of the White Stripes. It's really cool that we're getting this revival of straight-up rock and roll, your three- or four-piece power group, and I think Felice Lazay fits along nicely within this recent revival. Very cool stuff, very seductive tune, and listening to the lyrics, definitely fits the Halloween season. I would suspect you would agree. Now to get into a bit of the limelight. Like I said, Brandy is going to be in the Christmas show at the Zig, playing the role of Professor Sybil Trelawney. She has a couple of solo lines in songs during the first act, and recently the writer, Rick Ray, who's the music director at the Ziegfeld Theater, told her that he's written a short song for her in the second act, which will be a premonition. And so far, Brandy says it's incredibly funny. The music's all original. And it's going to be a bit of a comedy of errors that will include St. Nick himself, Santa Claus. So it'll be a nice mashup between a Santa Claus story and Harry Potter. I could see those worlds blending quite well if you consider being magical and fantastic. And while Brandy got the role she wanted, it's a bit of a smaller part, and so a lot of rehearsals is spent waiting, which is mostly what actors do. You just sit around waiting for the time to be on stage or their time to rehearse. We had our midlife crisis Halloween show. Sadly, Mark couldn't attend, so it was just a four-man thing, so I got to perform a bit more. We performed somewhat different games. We opened with Tombstones, which is puns and wordplay regarding the readings of Tombstones of famous people, whether real or fictional. And as it was Halloween-themed... There are such things as Dracula, in which case I said, here lies Dracula, but not for long. That sort of thing. There's a Michael Myers thing, so, of course, making the joke that there would be no more Austin Powers. We split up hosting and MC duties, so 
Tim opened the show and got suggestions for the tombstones, which went quite well. We did questions only, which is for you familiar with whose line is it anyway. A bit of rapid competitive scene work in which the performers can only speak in the form of questions. And it was during a seance. So that was fun and challenging. Because you think that's pretty easy until you're on stage. And then suddenly the questions just don't come. So it's a good way to change out the performers and keep things active. After that was Bachelorette or The Dating Game. In which we had Brandy go out as we got suggestions as to who the remaining performers would be. What the strange quirks. And this Bill hosted and got some really oddball suggestions. But in this particular performance, I shined because I was the Old Testament as written by Dr. Zeus. And I can rhyme pretty quickly. I do have that English degree background, and so finding rhymes, not that difficult. And Brandy got that one pretty quickly. Tim was a blend between Samuel L. Jackson and the Swedish chef which Brandy almost got if there were more clues to Samuel L. Jackson that she'd pick up on, because Brandy being Brandy isn't one that could watch Pulp Fiction. So getting Pulp Fiction references would be difficult. Snakes on Plane, Avengers, that sort of thing. I mean, once I clued her into those things, she got it. And then Bill was a tub of popcorn with a hole in it, which is pretty risque considering we're an all-ages comedy troupe. And that she got that it was a tub of something, but she didn't get the popcorn thing until I think I said there's a kernel of truth in what he's saying. So I had a lot of compliments on my rhyming and probably the most compliments I've had from an improv show, really. So that went well. And then we ended on a tweaked version of our signature closer, which would be preschool. And this is one we call recess in which there's the performers... I didn't perform with them. I just hosted this segment. The performers pretend to be children, but while in preschool, it's children talking about some kind of adult topic and trying to make sense of it, which is fun because you get to explore different avenues and the conversation goes in fun and interesting ways. It becomes a bit talking heads because everybody's just sit sitting around a table pretending to color in the coloring books. Well, at recess, they're still acting as children, but pretending to be in some sort of profession. And I asked for something creepy, and I got from Joe, who was sitting in the back. Joe's a member of Sasquatch Cowboy. I heard him say something about a truck, and I was like, what was that again? And he says, an ice cream truck man. And I was like, okay, that's creepy enough. So I had them pretend to be an ice cream truck employee and customer and so on. And Bill was brilliant because he wanted to pretend to be the ice cream being sold. So that was fun. Though it did eventually devolve into kind of a sexism thing which always seems to happen with preschool and now with recess is because brandy is a woman some performers like to point that out and i think it's detracts from the show it just breaks down and becomes about that every time rather than what you really should be discussing which is either the ins and outs of running an ice cream van business from a kid's perspective or in the case of preschool, just some adult topic, but yet it always boils down to being about sexism. So that's something we should probably discuss and see if we can adjust that so it doesn't happen as often. Granted, every once in a while, talking about sexist things 
should happen, but not every time. Just there's a time and place for everything. But overall, the show went well. We had many compliments, and it felt that it had gone well. Though we did miss Mark. He adds some exuberance to it, though we still drew a crowd, and I always thought it was mostly Mark bringing a crowd. There's just something about midlife crisis that attracts an audience. And it's not always our friends and family, so I'm not sure what that is. Last week, we did have the Sasquatch Cowboy Halloween show that they've been working up to. It's a improvised murder mystery in which I had additional technical duties, being the sound and lighting technician, is certain music cues and an intro that Brandy recorded, because the recording that we got originally, by even Caitlin's standard and member of Sasquatch Cowboy, it's a large troupe. She said it was sounded like an 11-year-old had recorded it, so we needed somebody a bit more mature and experienced to record a bit, and it seemed to work really well to set the stage, as it were. They decorated by hanging like a cardboard chandelier thing, which was a nice silhouette for many of the scenes. And then a little bit of furniture, and they had bats in the background, and candles lit, and little pumpkins, and that sort of thing, just to add to the Halloween atmosphere. A lot of people came in costume, because that's something Sasquatch Cowboy had suggested. Marketing must have done very well, because Brandy had to turn away people at the door. It was getting to the point where it was a fire hazard if any more people came in because every seat was filled. People were sitting back on top of the concessions table. They were standing along either wall and near the door. And more people than not came in costume. So that was really cool. And the people that showed up, that got turned away, showed up late anyway. So it's kind of their own fault. If you're going to go to a show, come early. There's no guarantee you're going to find seating. Especially in a popular thing. But it was a double-stuffed episode of Sasquatch Cowboy. It was uh, two hours they went, improvising a old house-on-the-hill-style 30s-type murder mystery with Matt playing the various dead bodies, with Chelsea doing a knockoff of Wednesday Adams as Tuesday Abrams, Calvin dressed as a turkey, a pardoned turkey, adding a bit of absurdism. It worked really well because he added a Minnesota-style accent, as a lot of turkeys come from Minnesota. And it went really, really well. The music cues worked well, the lighting cues. Each segment would end with the thunderclap, and then I'd bring the lights down, and then bring them back up with red light as Matt would take a position as a new dead body to be discovered. And then right following the thunder sound would be a dramatic film noir style violin sting and many of the cues just layered in perfectly with what the improvisers were saying. I think Joe got a little confused because Joe was hosting and playing the detective, a bee-tective instead of a detective because he was dressed up as a bee. And I think he forgot they had already covered the three murders and was going to do another one. So they played one additional short-form game, which is fun because they did pickup lines, which is always a killer with Sasquatch Cowboy. Another pun run where... You do pickup lines of various professions or celebrities or whatnot. So the pickup lines of an electrician or pickup lines of a mortician, that sort of thing. And Caitlin was killing it. Which is funny because she was playing like a seven-year-old girl or so. And she turned out to be the murderer too. Because everybody was being killed by some sort of frozen food like a Pop-Tart or a toaster strudel or steamed broccoli, what have you. 
and to have her go back through and do the reveal was hilarious as she's just raging and killing people with frozen foods. So that went extraordinarily well. And then we had another stand-up show. Natasha performed as well as Nick Smith. And Natasha had new material. That's Natasha Mauerd. And she thought her stuff was going to be a bit depressing, but to follow Nick Smith, not so bad because he's a very dark comedian. Talks a lot about mental illness and death and that sort of thing. Well, Maurer had just gone through a breakup, and so her material was a bit more oriented to that. She was talking about one of the most depressing tweets she ever tweeted, which was that the saddest thing she ever masturbated to was the way things used to be. And then her headliner was Derek Sheen from Idaho, and he was working on new material, which is great for The Loft. It's a great place for that. For some reason, The Loft doesn't get a big crowd for stand-up. I don't know why, because they usually kill, but just nobody goes to stand-up shows for some reason. Yet stand-up comedy live is one of the coolest things, because it's a feedback loop. But he had just recorded an album, and he was getting rid of his old material and working on new. And yeah, he was checking his notes a lot, but all the same, the jokes he had were very polished. Mostly because they were storytelling things, so they are already locked into his brain. It was just reminding him of what to say. And he thanked us for laughing so much, because that gives him an indication that he's on the right track for creating a new set. We got to talk to him a little bit afterwards, and it was a good night overall. And then tonight is Off the Wall's Halloween show, which is usually their biggest show of the year. I don't know if it's going to be tonight, because Off the Wall's kind of dipped in the past few months. It doesn't quite have the luster it used to. I don't know, with all the changes of going upstairs and then back downstairs, and just various changes to the way things are run, what has made Off the Wall a little off-kilter as to what it's been in the past. It could be just it's difficult to schedule improvisers to perform. And it always has, I mean, granted it is improvised comedy, but it always has this last-minute kind of approach to it. So hopefully tonight will be a bit more polished and put together. We'll see. But yeah, Brandy and I are going in costume. I went in costume to the Sasquatch Cowboy Halloween special by shaving my goatee and I made a little badge of Frank Grimes at the nuclear power plant because if I shave my face I look a lot like Frank Grimes from the Simpsons so that was funny I looked kind of like a missionary from afar because it was a white shirt and black tie so but yeah if you got up close it was like oh yeah Grimes from the Simpsons and you can find that on my Facebook page somewhere I posted the picture but tonight I'm going as Gary King from the world's end. So I'll get my black trench and my Sisters of Mercy shirt. And then Brandy will likely go as Trelawney again. She's got the perfect pair of glasses and she's posted a picture of her as well on Facebook. And that's a lot from the limelight. So let's continue with more music. Well, we're four tracks deep into this Halloween special. So it's about time we get into some gothic rock and some death rock. And right now we're going to focus on the latter, which is the band Dystopian Society, which is Max and Sarah from Florence, Italy. And as you'd expect, their influences 
are largely post-punk, gothic rock, death rock, industrial, that sort of thing. So Joy Division, Christian Death, Killing Joke, Susie and the Banshees, Bathhouse, Virgin Prunes, etc. Dystopian Society is one of the first bands to follow me on Facebook. And this was even before I had any of their tracks to present. So that's very cool. And I do like their stripped-down, spartan, eerie sound. The song I present for you this time is No Hope from their album Cages. And what characterizes this song, other than its spartan qualities, is how it increases in tempo as the song goes on to add a bit of hysteria, a bit of urgency to the song. So it really ramps up towards the very cool stuff from Florence, Italy. Dystopian Society with No Hope.
trüg mich dann an einen verlassenen Ort. flying out of your headphones Whew. so that was robin r-a-b-e-n which is the german word for ravens from the band groovt schlumpen who is a 80s influenced gothic band from berlin they are also unsigned and yes they're very heavily influenced by the 80s there's something rather lydia lunch or even nina hagen 
about the band, other than just being German. There's definitely a kind of a new wave slant to their brand of gothic slash post-punk music. The band members consist of Britta on vocals, and that's one of my favorite names for women, Britta, though the water filter is kind of less than that, I suppose, but still very pretty name. Actually, a family name in my family on the Jacola side, on the Finnish side. And then there's Kokel on guitars, bass, and programming. So a dude to do the music, a lady to sing. Very similar to the setup of Collide, which is another favorite band. And I like that stark cold wave style of vocals. Rather minimalistic, quite polished, very 80s. Just sleek, neon, very cool. So in news and reviews, in news, we got our villains shipment from the Marvel Collector's Corps. And it came with quite a few things. Got another patch. It's a Red Skull patch. Got another button, a nice hefty button slash pin of the Green Goblin. There's a vinyl pop Funko figure of Morbius, which is a scientifically created vampire from the Marvel Comics universe and has been in several of the titles in Marvel, including almost becoming an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. at one time, I believe. It's been in Blade Comics I think Spider-Man, several things. Anytime they needed a vampire that wasn't Dracula or something like that. I think even uh, classic X-Men ran into him. So that one I nabbed for myself, and he fits along my other vinyl pop figures because he's just got that gothy vibe. Brandy was happy to get a Dorbs issue of a Loki figure, so the kind of adorable style pop-type, like giant-headed vinyl figure. She has a little keychain of Venom. Then it came with an Iron Man comic with the Marvel Collector Core exclusive cover, given that bit of collectability. And then a shirt with several of the villains on there. Strangely, no Doom. Had Ultron, Thanos, Green Goblin, Loki. And I feel like I'm forgetting one. But yes, yeah, several villains, but strangely, no Doom. So not a lot of Doom in there, which is somewhat disappointing, but not enough to be disappointed at all. So I actually liked this shipment a lot. There wasn't really anything I didn't like that we got, even though I'm no Venom fan. The fact that Venom was just this little keychain was kind of cute, pretty cool. So well worth the small amount of money, because the Morbius figure alone is worth the entire package. We saw The Martian. We liked it. Though Brandy didn't like Jessica Chastain in it, still found her to be quite boring. I didn't like Kristen Wiig. I thought she was miscast and performing like she was an entirely different film. She almost made it a parody, which is sad because I like the actress. I just didn't think her tone fit the rest of the film. We saw Crimson Peak. We liked it. It's a gothic romance, but it could have done without the CG ghosts, especially when Del Toro's known for his more practical effects. I thought it could have done without any ghosts and just been a straight-up gothic-style thriller without having these cartoonish, ghastly figures appear as if they were scenes from the Frighteners. Really not the best effects. And overly violent, but it kind of fit within the film. It's a bit in the same vein as Pan's Labyrinth. Brandy did like Jessica Chastain in this, and I know Colin says that her British accent is laughable, but to our American ears, 
it wasn't too noticeable. And she looks fantastic in this red dress during a particular scene. Not a whole lot of surprises. You kind of guess what's going on all along. But still, quite a beautiful film. Very atmospheric. Though could have really done without as many special effects. It was rather detracting. And like, just ridiculously poor in our opinion. Though overall, good movie. Lessened by poor effects. And the Young Frankenstein musical at the Zig is really good. It's one of the best productions. It's right up there with producers, which makes sense as Dan Pack, once again, fills the role of Gene Wilder, and I doubt there's an actor alive that could do it so fittingly. Dan Pack just has the look and the same kind of nervous energy and charm as Gene Wilder, and so it's no wonder that whenever they do some musical based upon a Gene Wilder performance, Dan Pack knocks it out of the park. Amazing. Brendy says he's far more entertaining than the Broadway production, that he has heart and can sing and dance and act, and he's a triple threat. So Dan Pack's awesome. He does a lot for the theater, too. A lot of behind-the-scenes technical stuff that I didn't know until recently. Amazing cello player, too. So Dan Pack, really... The primary reason to go see the show, it's still running if you're in the Ogden area. Though, not for much longer, I think. It's near the end of its run. Our off-the-wall buddy, Eb, plays Igor, or Igor, and of course, stills most of the scenes, because that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. And the musical director I mentioned earlier, Rick Ray, is the creature, and I forgot how tall he is. And he adds a pathos... To the creature that is much needed. And worked really hard on his drones. And of course during the putting on the Ritz segment of the movie. That is a bring down the house musical number during the show. Where Rick taps and does his creature type singing. And there's one dance off he has with his shadow. Where he gets a little mad at it. Because it dances when he's not. A neat little effect. Uh, Speaking to Caleb who is the owner of the theater, and also an off-the-wall friend. He was talking about how this particular set has a lot of moving parts. Everything moves. So it's really a difficult production to put on. There's the spinning bookcase. There's the roll, roll, rolling the hay wagon. And a staircase that they have to move around from place to place to have it be the platform for the ship. Instead of a train, it's a ship because, yeah, you can't take a train to Transylvania, but that was one of the funniest jokes from Young Frankenstein. It's going from New York to Transylvania on a train. So really, I can't think of any um, weak link as far as the actors are concerned, though the lady playing Frau Blucher couldn't quite hit the low parts, which is always a pet peeve with Brandy being an alto, and seeing people cast in alto roles that can't hit the low notes. I can see that being very frustrating. So that's kind of our reviews. Oh, there's one more thing. We saw Supergirl. We liked it, though there's there should have been a like one more pass over the script because there's a line early on talking about how there's no such thing as aliens when it's been established that Superman exists in this world and people know who he is. So it seemed off that a character would say that in this universe. But we really love the actress playing Supergirl. She's adorably awkward and authentic. 
And yeah, there's some rom-com style feminine traits to it that I could see some people finding off-putting or stereotypical, but I think they're addressed well enough. And it's difficult to do a story about a girl superhero without it being girly. Yeah, it's a difficult tight rope to walk. And I could see people shying away from it to the detriment of the story, going far too in the other direction. I think iZombie strikes that balance really well, of having a female lead, but not making it too girly. But with Supergirl, I think that's part of the point, is that she is girly. And so, yeah, she is going to get flummoxed by an attractive Jimmy Olsen. Or she is going to have some issues with her jealous sister and that sort of thing. So we did like it. The action's good. The effects are pretty good for television. I really like how it's filmed. Whoever they have as director of photography, you know, anybody behind the camera, they really have a good eye. So we approve of the Supergirl series so far. And that should do it for reviews. Hi, Andy's Grandma. We're here to record a new episode of Night of the Living Podcast. Is Andy home? Oh, me so sorry. He no home right now. You follow me. Oh, Andy's room smells kind of weird. Yeah, really strange. He left his computer on over here, too. Hey, guys, why do you think Andy might have this mask of human skin? That's weird. Maybe you guys know why there's this machete in the corner. This computer's just knife enthusiast websites in American apparel. Oh, wait, there's another website here. Palaver.com. Palaver. Okay, Palaver. Whatever, I Palaver. think... Yeah, he's definitely got the serial killer board up right under uh, Night of the Living podcast discussions. Oh, Jesus. Uh, maybe we should get the hell maybe out of here. Maybe we should go. Yeah, I think we should. Hey, guys. You ready to record? <laughs> If you're a fan of horror films, you should check out Night of the Living Podcast at notop.com, part of the Palaver family. Okay, next up we have some more music auf Deutsch, so some EBM with German vocals. That's electronic body music from the band Frontal, who are Alex Vobig on voice and programming and Dennis Rim on live drums. So it seems like, once again, one of those setups like VNV Nation, where it's technically one person but on live shows becomes two and ebm often already has a a deliciously teutonic flavor very germanic but considering frontal is a german band to begin with it's even more so i really like this song sei stark which is german for be strong and this comes off their album lass uns tanzen and there are some fat analog-sounding round bass tones in this with nice little percolating synth overlaid with that rather basic dance floor beat underneath for a very classic-sounding, old-school, like, Nitzereb-era-style song. And some beautiful German vocals. Very pretty German in Zeistart. So here you have it, the band Frontal.
And there you have yet another song coming out of Germany. This time a bit of techno from Leipzig with the artist Black Color. And that's B-L-A-C space K-O-L-O-R with the song Cold, the raw construction mix by Liebknecht. <laughs> Love Night. <laughs> Black Color is Hendrik Grosse. And he refers to the title of his project as black not being a color, but the mixture of all colors. So the thought that what music he provides is a full-spectrum sort of affair. Very atmospheric, instrumental piece there. I mean, the only real vocal thing going on is the word cold, which is also spelt with a K, which is weird because in German it would be cult. I think that particular track really fits the season well. There's something quite sinister and dark about that particular bit of techno music, which is something you don't hear very often. People don't really speak of techno anymore. It's usually electronica or some more specified version of EDM, such as dubstep or future pop or what have you. But just to full-on be a techno piece, there's a certain kind of purity and honesty and lack of pretension in that. Just owning up to the fact that you're presenting techno music. And very respectable, danceable, yet somehow disturbing techno at that. There's not a lot of feedback for the last few weeks, which is no big surprise. We don't get a ton of feedback. Did get Glenn Kimberly sharing some items from the Steampunk Festival in our Facebook group, which you're welcome to post to if you want to share any gothier-related events or just drop by and say hello or what have you. And there's our Facebook fan page as well. So we have a, both a group and a page. We're always looking for more iTunes reviews. So for this particular episode, since it's the Halloween season, I'm thinking in the style of a Diary of a Madman sort of thing. So a little Nikolai Gogol type weird ramblings about our show, which is something you should do for pretty much any podcast you enjoy if you happen to listen to it through iTunes because an iTunes review helps it get noticed, helps word get around, allows it to be displayed more prominently on iTunes pages, and allows the podcasters to know that they've got some listeners out there who enjoy the show. I've dug up this next pairing of songs from the more industrial side of things beginning with the band Freak Angel. Many of their songs get sent to me as a DJ via Alpha Matrix Records. Freak Angel consists of D. Darling, Art, and Roman D. They're a post-industrial act from Tallinn in Estonia. And they have a bit of a dark electro vibe, and dark electro is one of my favorite genres. It's a bit odd, as it's like being a horror movie fan. It's, can you say you really enjoy horror films if they consist of brutality, murder, and that sort of thing? Dark Electro is that same kind of thing, but in music form. It often focuses on the darker aspects of the human condition. Yet, as it explores the darker aspects, it kind of shines a light on the opposite, is making the beauty and kindness and better aspects of the human condition seem 
all the more precious. The song Porcelain Dolls, the Skyla Vertex mix I'm about to present, features the raspy vocals that you traditionally find in Dark Electro, along with some interesting squelches in the bass line, which is a sound I find really quite cool. It's a nifty sound. And there are some angelic vocals to open the song, which is a nice contrast to the more sinister elements to follow. So here's Freak Angel with Porcelain Dog.
question. Do you think there are things in the world beyond what we can see? Yeah. I think we're surrounded by things we cannot see. Things we cannot see until we start looking for them. Freak Angel is the band Proxy View, which sadly I could not find much information about, though that was the song Visions off the Glass Klinga sampler. And they also have that death rattle raspy vocals in the dark electro tradition, combined with movie samples from some horror film. I couldn't quite place it, but that was the song Visions. And definitely another atmospheric bit of industrial harsh EBM music for you to go with the dark holiday season. So before our final track for this episode, some shout outs. I would like to shout out Quinn Kapatinoff, 
He's stepped away from the Zig Theater for a bit, though returned to host the stand-up comedy special that took place a couple of nights ago. And it was really good to see him again. It's been a while. We do consider him a friend, and he has done a lot for us, and we've missed him. So we will return next month with our regularly scheduled weirdness. So back to a standard format episode. Now it's been a bit odd because we've had the Comic-Con specials, the movie commentary, and then this music special. So all a bit different to what we normally release. But next fortnight, we'll return with our standard format show. And on behalf of Brandy, I would like to thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode, this music special. I very nearly presented an extreme music special, but it figured it was a bit too early in the run of the Dark Corner podcast to play something so divisive. I'll probably get around to that at some point, playing more extreme bits of music from the Terror EBM, Power Noise, Experimental, Breakbeat, and similar brands of dark alternative music. We'll get there eventually. But for now, I'd just like to say thanks for listening, and now for our final track. To close, we have some experimental-ish EDM that actually comes off a Christmas album called Gothic Xmas, but on this strange compilation of techno-ish themes, there's a song called Halloween featuring the Migu. And I doubt there's a better song to close on than something like this. So there's a rather cinematic quality, as if Danny Elfman were somehow involved. You could see it as being an alternate choice for some Tim Burton film. It's rich, it's varied, at times quite foreign because the vocals are in a fairly thick accent. It's a bit of a pounder, the beat quite heavy, and accompanied by some rich stabs on synthesizers. So here to close this Halloween special is the song Halloween featuring the Migu off the album Gothic Xmas. Have a safe and happy Halloween. Bye!
will win. 